0: Nancy Wyman, State Democratic Chairwoman. Nancy, thanks so much for being here. With us today is Nancy Wyman. This is the Donkey Talk Podcast with your host, Connecticut Democratic Party Chairwoman Nancy Wyman.
1: Well, welcome everybody. Today I am extra specially excited to have our Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez with us. And he's in Washington, and I'm in Hartford, and we're still making this work. It's amazing what technology can do right now. I just want to tell you a little bit about our, our state our national party chair. Um, He was a former federal prosecutor for the civil rights under the President Obama served as assistant attorney general for civil rights and then secretary of labor. And now since January of 2017, he's a fearless leader. So, Tom, I just wanted to ask you, uh, what was your favorite job?
0: You know, I'm one of those uh, people who has felt very lucky because I've loved every job I've ever had because they were the right job for the moment. I I served in local government, uh, served in state government. I worked for Senator Kennedy uh, on the Hill back in the uh, 90s. I had the privilege of working for President Clinton as a, a political appointee in the Justice Department. And then coming back under President Obama to lead the Civil Rights Division, and then uh, to serve as uh, the nation's labor labor secretary, and each job I had, Nancy was the the perfect job at the moment in time. Uh, when I was uh, running for local office, that was. Uh, when George W Bush was in office and quite frankly i had no interest in working in dc at that point <laughs> I can uh, when for obvious reasons although it's it's a weird world we live in when people wax nostalgic for George W Bush that's for uh, sure <laughs> that that is uh, that, that that just sort of tells you where we are right now in our uh, broken democracy under this uh, this uh, incredibly dangerous president. But I, for me, what's um, the common denominator of all these jobs that I've had the privilege of doing throughout my career of service is helping people and helping people at scale. In the case of the Labor Department and the Civil Rights Division, I, I remember vividly a, a trip I took with the president to Connecticut. And uh, we did an event around the minimum wage with Governor Malloy, Governor Patrick, uh, Governor uh, Shumlin of Vermont. And uh, I think maybe the governor of Rhode Island uh, was there as well. And it was uh, a joint effort to highlight the need to lift wages. And. Governor Malloy and you uh, were able to uh, accomplish that. And that, that that's what it's all about, helping people at scale. And when we elect Democrats, we help people at scale. And when we lose elections at scale, then the people we care about get hurt at scale. And that's the moment in time we're living in. And that's why you and I are doing our jobs, uh, because we want to elect Democrats so that we can get back to the business of building an America that really works for everyone and having leaders who are looking out for other people and not themselves, like Absolutely. this reckless president.
1: Uh, absolutely. And getting back to the president, um, there's a new Fox poll that shows a majority of Americans support, not just impeachment, but removing President Trump from his office. You know, you've been living through this every day. Do you want to just talk about the, how we got to this point and what this man has been doing, in my opinion, to ruin our country?
0: Well, this is uh, truly a moral fork in the road, and what got us here was a president who doesn't respect the rule of law. Uh, the The Ukraine incident is a very straightforward incident. It is an abuse. It's a classic abuse of power case. Uh, back in twenty fourteen, the the Russians invaded ukraine they killed people indiscriminately they they took some of the territory of ukraine the global community came together republicans and democrats came together and said that is wrong that is illegal that is a violation of international rights and international law and international norms and Again, Republicans and Democrats came together around a package of aid, around a package of sanctions against Russia, and those, that bipartisan consensus uh, continued. There was never any, uh, we're going to give you this aid, but you got to do me a favor from Barack Obama or uh, Joe Biden or anyone involved in the administration. This was a united front of Republicans and Democrats across our administration and in the global community. Then you fast forward to this president. Uh, whose North Star, every day he thinks about his North Star by looking in the mirror, because his North Star is himself. And as, as I think your listeners are beginning to learn, uh, he did something just breathtaking uh, in its uh, uh, shamefulness, uh, to say the least, which is he said, uh, you want this aid? You need to do me a favor. And you know what that favor was? They wanted to dig up uh, dirt. And there is no dirt to dig up on uh, the vice president. And that is wrong. And the reason why I think this um, impeachment has become such a— the the, the polling has shifted so much, uh, Madam Chair, is because uh, people see this for the abuse of power that it is. Uh, You know, this is an administration that said— you can't prosecute a sitting president uh, for criminal activity in office because the remedy for that is impeachment. And now this is a president who says, you can't investigate me for potentially impeachable conduct. Uh, And he is uh, giving the stiff arm to the uh, House investigative committees. Uh, That is a president who doesn't understand what democracy is and doesn't understand what checks and balances is. And and the reason why this is so important for us to do is because this is really about the essence of our democracy. Nobody is above the law, and I applaud what is happening. And I'll give you one more observation. I you know, I was a prosecutor at the Department of Justice for a number of years. I prosecuted a lot of police misconduct cases. My first federal trial was in the Southern District of Ohio in Cincinnati, and it involved uh, a police officer who had done a lot of bad things. And while we were investigating him, his boss, the chief, who also happened to be his father-in-law, told all of the officers in the department, if you cooperate with the investigation, I'm going to fire you. So I ended up having not one defendant at trial, but I ended up having two defendants at trial. And the police officer was being prosecuted for the underlying civil rights violations. And his father-in-law, the police chief, was prosecuted for obstruction of justice. The criminal justice system can be used to... Uh, bring people to justice in that context, private citizens, um, elected officials. And the impeachment process, similarly, is the process we use when presidents are stonewalling and when they've committed um, acts that are absolutely uh, beneath the dignity of the office and put our national security at risk. And and that is why it's so important for us to do this and and you may have some listeners who are wondering well you know is is this politically dicey with all due respect and i totally get that question and i get asked it a lot you know th- this is th- this isn't about politics and and by the way this isn't about right versus left this is about right versus wrong and when you have your democracy on the ballot like we have right now and when you have a president who's saying, I am above the law, you can't prosecute me and you can't investigate me. Nobody is above the law. And, and, and what the conduct in Ukraine illustrates to me, Nancy, that is so troubling is that it's a president who's all about himself. Was he on the phone saying, hey, you've got to buy more soybeans or more wheat from our American farmers or you've got to buy cars uh, that are made in America? I, I need you to do that. No, he was advocating for the only entity that he advocates for, which is himself. That's so
1: right. And and the use of um, his properties and telling people where they had to stay is not talked about. Um, but also the fact that we were all brought up to respect the office of president. And Amen. what I'm scared of is that our younger people are now listening and they will not have the respect for the office I don't ask them to have respect for the person, but we have to have respect for the office. And that we have three branches as a government. And the reason we have those is to, for the checks and balances. And this president can't be a dictator. That's not what well, America's about.
0: Amen. And, and you know, the, and within the executive branch of government, It is critically important, and I had a front row seat to this in the Obama administration as your labor secretary and in the civil rights division. When you're making important decisions, it's really important to have a robust internal process where the president gets the benefit of advice from various stakeholders. This presidency is unhinged. He's his own staffer. Uh, he's his own uh, war room right now. Uh, You look at what's happening with the situation in Syria and Turkey, and uh, that is a function of the fact that a president, he he took a call from the president of Turkey uh, who said, I want to invade. (laughs) And uh, this president said, be my guest. I'll move my troops out of the way. Notwithstanding the fact that uh, the people we were protecting were people who were fighting side by side with us, Uh, in the effort to defeat ISIS. This action by the president, he has blood on his hands. And this is an action that's gonna hurt our standing in the world, hurt our national security. There are ISIS fighters who are jailed in that northern northeast region of, of Syria who are in danger of getting released. And what did the president say? Well, make sure they just go to Europe. Yeah. Wow. That's it's it's breathtaking. And 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 what I think we have to make sure voters understand is uh, this is a president who's making our nation less safe. This is a president who uh, always is putting himself first. What, what is the accomplishment they are most proud of on the Republican side? It's the tax cut bill. Uh, what does the tax cut bill have in common with the conversation we're having about Ukraine? Well, the tax cut bill was about helping the president and people like the president. And Ukraine and what he did there uh, is about helping the president. It's, it's all about himself. Democrats are the party of we. We're about helping other people. Uh, he's the party of me, uh, yeah. Donald Trump. And he doesn't, uh,
1: he doesn't realize there's no I in team. Amen. And we have to be a team. And so when we're talking about that, we also have to move on and talk a little bit about how, many, how much great work that the DNC is doing um, to make sure that our nominees in, in 2020 can win. And so I'd like you to brag a little bit about what you are doing with your data warehouse and all your early background organizations.
0: Sure. Well, thank you for the question. Uh, When I got to the DNC in 2017, we had a lot of work to do. Uh, We had to rebuild our infrastructure and, frankly, also rebuild the trust of voters. And when I talk about rebuilding infrastructure, I'm really talking about a number of things. We had to rebuild our data and technology infrastructure. It was antiquated. It was the equivalent of driving um, you know, a 2001 Ford Pinto, although those cars were probably gone by 2001 for good reason. Uh, but we were driving an old jalopy when I got here to the DNC, and we needed a, a modern uh, a car that could move, a modern data infrastructure that could help us elect Democrats up and down the ticket. To, to give your listeners a sense of, uh, why this is so important, you know, roughly 6,000 people who were running for office last year used our voter file. Uh, people in Connecticut running for state office, local office, uh, your, your members of Congress, uh, you know, the governor's race, uh, etc. Uh, they were using our data file, our voter file, and we work side by side with our state party partners. Uh, we have totally rebuilt our data and technology infrastructure so that, uh, for instance, we we bought up 110 million cell phone numbers. We gave uh, hundreds of thousands to the Connecticut Democratic Party so you can connect more readily with voters. And where do voters consume their news? They consume their news on their... Uh, smartphones. And so our data and technology investments have enabled us to help Democrats win. Our investments in organizing uh, and early organizing, uh, I think we got into the lazy habit of waiting until two months before an election before we started talking to people. I, I call that transactional politics. We're talking about relational politics. You know, All politics is personal, Senator Kennedy always taught me. And we're building relationships. So this past summer in Milwaukee, for instance, we knocked on 20,000 doors, 25,000 doors in Detroit. Uh, four years ago, we hadn't knocked on you know, basically any doors in those cities. And I bring those two cities up because they are in two states, Wisconsin and Michigan, that are indispensable to our electoral success next November. And our success there in 2018 was a function of the fact that we invested early and we invested everywhere and we work closely with partners. So the data and technology, the organizing infrastructure and our voter protection infrastructure. And what do I mean by that? Uh, We have to acknowledge and understand that the other side is going to try to lie, cheat and steal. Uh, They want to try to make it harder for people to vote. You know, as we speak right now in uh, Ohio, the Republicans are trying to execute a wholesale indiscriminate uh, purge of voters. And the reason they're doing it is they got a green light from the Supreme Court and the deciding vote were the uh, the Trump appointees to the court who gave a green light to states uh, to indiscriminately, in my judgment, uh, purge voters who are eligible. That's that's inconsistent with who we are. Uh, as a nation. But that's the reality of the world we live in. And so we're building a 12-month-a-year voter protection infrastructure so that uh, we're working with local boards of elections to make sure there's election security. We're, we're working to make sure voters are registered. We're working to make sure voters aren't purged. And if they're purged, we're calling them up to get them back on the rolls. Uh, all of these things, I think, are indispensable uh, to our long-term success. So when I talk about infrastructure, that's what I'm talking about. And you're doing a great job of it. You're even,
1: um, I think, also training everyone from the first-time activist all the way up to the top-tier professionals in campaign work, and you're getting people out to run for office, which is. Exactly what we all need to do, and I thank you for doing this. So we know that the next debate is coming up on October 15th, which will be in Ohio, and then November 20th in Georgia. What do you think our candidates should be talking about in their next debate?
0: I think our candidates are going to be talking about our values, uh, and I think there's a real alignment, uh, Madam Chair, of our of our values. Every every Democrat on that stage believes that uh, everybody should have access to quality, affordable health care. Uh, we're about 80, 90% of the way up the mountaintop thanks to Barack Obama and, and Lyndon Johnson and you know, Medicare and Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act. And we're going to have a conversation, and there are differences of opinion on how to get to the mountaintop, but there's no difference of opinion on the imperative of getting to that mountaintop. And there's no difference of opinion on the imperative of protecting people with pre existing conditions, taking on the pharmaceutical industry. We're going to talk about all of those values. We're going to talk about uh, the imperative of climate change and, and addressing it. And you know, all the Democrats understand that this is a existential threat and that we need to take swift, bold action. The other side is still debating the science, which is just in, unimaginable to me. We're talking about how do we build an economy that works for everyone? Um, you know, income inequality is at its worst levels now uh, since they started collecting data in the 1960s. The gap between rich and poor uh, is getting greater. Why? Because we've got an administration that uh, has given a reckless tax break Uh, to people who don't deserve it and all the while refuses to raise the minimum wage it's not hard to figure out why the gap between the rich and everybody else is is growing and that's unconscionable and so these are the types of things we're talking about and of course we'll uh, end up talking about uh, our democracy imperatives right now because we've got a president um, who doesn't respect the rule of law and Uh, there is, I think, a real consensus about the need to hold this president accountable.
1: And and you're so right. You know, as we go on, we will get down to one nominee. What do you think that we, as the parties in different states and what you can do, so that when the time comes, we are all united for the candidate of our party?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a critically important question. I I think our diversity is our greatest strength and our unity is our greatest weapon in defeating Donald Trump. And and if we want to govern again, we must first win. And what we have been doing throughout our democratic primary process is ensuring, uh, through a host of efforts to make sure the process is transparent and fair, uh, my goal is to make sure that everybody gets a fair shake, that they can swing the bat. And, uh, you know, we've got whatever, 20, 25 people in the race. All but one aren't going to make it to the mountaintop. And my job is to ensure that all of their supporters uh, are fully throated behind whoever that nominee is. And that's why, for instance, you know, when we had the first two debates, we held them on separate nights. We, uh, we did random selection uh, so that it, there wasn't a kid's table and an adult's table. We created a, a grassroots fundraising threshold. So it wasn't just polling that could get you on the debate stage. If, if you weren't a known commodity, but you had developed a grassroots fundraising base, Uh, That was a way to get on the stage that we've never done that before. And part of the reason we did that is we wanted to return power to the grassroots. And so that's uh, that's been our North Star throughout. We want to make sure that everybody uh, has a full and fair opportunity to make their case to the American people. I believe we've done that and uh, we've got more work to do. I'm looking forward to next week in Ohio and next month in Georgia. And uh, this is this uh, primary season and uh, caucus season is uh, right on our doorstep. And the key here is to make sure that we recognize that we must all be united and we must never conflate unity and unanimity. I'm not asking anybody on uh, listening to this podcast to agree with everything that our nominee uh, might be articulating in their policy platforms but what I am asking people to acknowledge is that every single candidate running for president is a thousand times better than Donald Trump and uh, the values that we're fighting for I believe are the values that commend and command the respect of the vast majority of the American people what we have in common to put it differently far outweighs what our differences are and we need everybody engaged uh, and everybody engaged every day.
1: You're so right. And, you know, as you travel around uh, the country, um, we're seeing in our state uh, like a different kind of groups of people that are getting involved for the very first time. And... They are really excited about that. We have local elections here in Connecticut right now, but they're also excited about ready for 2020. Have you seen that same kind of uh, excitement all throughout the country? And is there a certain process that's working better than others?
0: Well, the excitement is everywhere. And one of the reasons I come to you today with optimism is because we really. Uh, I this is, uh, this is a dark moment in our democracy, but it's also, uh, I learned a long time ago that on the darkest nights, you see the brightest stars. And there are so many people who stepped up and said, you know, I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. Uh, we can't afford that. And you look at turnout in 2018, uh, record turnout, uh, the levels of which we haven't seen since the civil rights era of the 1960s. And so, th- what we saw in 2018 isn't abating. What we saw in 2017, that helped us win races in Virginia, New Jersey, and then Alabama a month later, isn't abating. This is this is indeed a movement. And what we need to do is to continue to organize early and organize everywhere. And and people listening on. Uh, this podcast there are tremendous opportunities to organize and elect Democrats up and down the ballot in Connecticut Uh, there are tremendous opportunities to do it elsewhere I hope you'll stay engaged in Connecticut and uh, if you have relatives who live in Wisconsin Pennsylvania Michigan uh, you might want to pay a visit on them and help them out as well Make sure they make the phone calls into the families and friends. Amen. Because we need to get them
1: out. You know, on the local and state Republicans here in Connecticut, we do see some of the candidates coming up that believe the the Trump's rhetoric. Um, And they're they're becoming with records of bigotry and homophobia and predicting violence and preaching services. um, But do you think Trump's impact has been? On the local re- elections across the country?
0: Well, I'm, you know, Donald Trump is a symptom. Uh, the 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 racism that he spews and the invective that he spews, uh, he's not the first person in American history to do it. Uh, but what is different about this president is using the bully pulpit of the presidency uh, to uh create these false moral equivalencies what do i mean by that i mean he didn't the 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 charlottesville incident should have been a layup Uh, there were some white supremacists who did unspeakable acts and this wasn't a case of there are good people on both sides no that was a horrific act of bad people period no footnotes no exceptions that's what he should have done. It should come as a surprise to none of your listeners that hate crimes are on the rise. Anti, uh, we, we just completed the, the Jewish high holidays. And across America, uh, local law enforcement was on high alert near synagogues because of the fear of Uh, Acts of uh, anti Semitic violence. And this is, this president, when you spew the invective that you do, it should come as no surprise to anyone that people then act on it. And that is, uh, that's what's different about this moment. Uh, This isn't, racism didn't start on January 20th, 2017. But when you have leaders whose modus operandi is to divide, our communities. And uh, that's just not who we are. And the party of Lincoln uh, was once the party of civil rights, but the party of Lincoln is dead and buried. And we now have the party of Trump. And that's why we have uh, this existential crisis of sorts in our democracy. And that's why folks have to get out there and vote and make sure we win in Connecticut, but also make sure that we win all over the country.
1: Absolutely. And You know, I just want, I hope that everybody will stay to their democratic values and not lean towards their, their fake news and their fears of, and spreading misinformation. As Democrats, we need to stand on a higher platform, I believe, uh, than what we're seeing right now on the other side so yeah I I, don't want
0: to I'm I I couldn't agree more and uh I I think the best antidote to this president is truth and uh there's an old adage I I heard the I heard the first lady once say when they go low we go high I have a variant on that when they go low we go vote when they go lower (laughs) we get our friends to vote and everyone else who's eligible to vote and when they go even lower we vote at levels never seen before in this country because that is the best antidote to the moment in time that we are in is everybody getting out there in voting and sending a very clear message. And by the way, the world is watching us. Uh, this is a global virus of nativism. This isn't just a virus that is limited to, uh, the United States of America. And we've led before we're going to lead now, and we're going to usher in a new era of shared responsibility and shared prosperity.
1: And I've, Totally believe you're right. We are at the lowest level, so we will, we'll, we will get everybody out to vote and win. So I end my podcast every time with uh, asking the person that I'm speaking to um, to talk about words that you live by. I've always said while I've been involved is my word is my bond. And so if you had to give us um, the words that you live by, what would they be?
0: Well, the words that I live by, uh, I probably draw from um, my faith tradition. I was raised in a Catholic faith tradition. And uh, there is scripture from Matthew, uh, Matthew 25, in which uh, um, it is said, uh, when I was uh, hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was an immigrant, you welcomed me. When I was incarcerated, uh, you visit me. Uh, that we do on to the least of us. We uh, do unto ourselves. And I think the most enduring symbol of our strength as a nation is Lady Liberty. And uh, Lady Liberty, it doesn't say, bring us your rich, uh, white European masses. It says, bring us your, your, your tired, your huddled masses. And and those masses who have come to America uh, built America uh, and and made such remarkable contributions. And and so when I think about the lessons that I live by, I think about that lesson that, frankly, my parents taught me and my faith teaches me. And it's not a teaching that's limited to my faith. It's a teaching that uh, I see in every faith tradition and in my friends who don't come from a faith tradition. It's it's a universal value, and I think it's a value that's enshrined in the democratic party and it's a value that uh, at one point actually in our nation's history was also enshrined in the Republican party but it is now extinct and so uh, when I think about those children separated from their parents at the border when I think about uh, women uh, with a pre-existing condition who are uh, who now have a knot in their stomach again because they uh, are looking at what this president is trying to do uh, when I when I look at uh, the division that this president is sowing, that's just not who we are as a nation, and that's what motivates me every day, Madam Chair, to get out there and help elect Democrats because uh, we can. You know, we're better than this as a nation, and I think the Democratic Party can lead us to uh, these uh, better uh, better days.
1: And I think we will. And I thank you for your leadership, your guidance. Um, You truly have tried to bring this party together. And we will, as a team, change this country back to where it should be uh, with your leadership and a lot of work ahead of us. So, Mr. Chairman, thank you again for joining us today. And I can't be happier to have you as our... national chairman
0: well thank you so much thank you for your partnership donkey talk is available on itunes google play and anywhere else you get your podcasts if you liked it remember to subscribe and visit ctdems.org to get involved